0: Welcome to this RCPE podcast of COVID Conversations. My name is Dr Rachel Sutherland. I'm on the Trainees and Members Committee at the college and I'm an ST7 in Acute, General and Stroke Medicine. Today, I am talking with Professor Mark Strachan, who is a consultant endocrinologist and diabetologist at the Western General Hospital in Edinburgh. Professor Strachan is also a researcher and works at the University of Edinburgh the reason that i have been asked to do this podcast with professor stracken today is because there's lots of questions about diabetes in the covid patient and i'd like to begin with the first question which has come from a number of colleagues which is to understand a bit better why diabetics have been put in the at risk group for covid-19 disease
1: so we've, we've known for many years, uh, Rachel, that uh, that people with diabetes are at an increased risk of infection in its broadest sense. And that probably relates to the effects of hyperglycemia on the immune system. We, we know that, that hyperglycemia can affect the function of neutrophils and so increase the risk of bacterial infection. It also probably has an impact on uh, other aspects of the immune system around B and T cell function. What we don't know is whether there are differences within people, within the broad spectrum of people with diabetes. So uh, are people with type 1 diabetes at the same risk as people with type 2 diabetes? and does the the level of glycemic control that an individual has modify that risk? Intuitively, you would think that somebody who has got extremely well-controlled type 1 diabetes would be at much lesser risk uh, from COVID than an older person with type 2 diabetes, with all the comorbidities that uh, often uh, go with type 2 diabetes, and who has got very poor glycemic control, that, that is intuitively what you would imagine. But the reality is we do not have robust data at the moment to, to know that for, for certain. So that's why the, the government has, has put all people with diabetes in the at-risk group for, um, for COVID infection.
0: Do you think, Prof, given this focus on obesity, that we should perhaps be advising people to complete some weight reduction at this time? Or do you think that's just a bit of a a step too far from from where the evidence base we've got at this point in time?
1: Well, more overweight people are more likely to have the other comorbidities that we uh, know put people in a high-risk group. So diabetes, hypertension and obviously we know about the, the this potential association with ace inhibitors and arbs and, uh, and, and increased risk although that again is not by any means certain so i i, I think there are there are many potential reasons why obesity would be a, would be a factor but i would imagine that the comorbidity element would be a major player in that
0: i guess the reality is that this is about lots of marginal gains it's a bit of this a bit of that and overall we're just wanting to improve people's general health and that's kind of all for the good that's that's the message we as physicians can give i guess
1: it's more i suppose uh, a public health message i would i would think um yeah there's i mean there's no doubt that losing weight is beneficial not just from a COVID point of view but from many other um aspects and of course Many people are going to have a lot more time on their hands now. Uh, and so bringing in an, an element of daily physical activity, of, of, of watching what you're eating and uh, weight loss if you're overweight can, in my mind, only be a positive thing. And if you have particularly type 2 diabetes, imp- the weight loss will improve glycemic control. And if that level of glycemic control is relevant in terms of risk of, of infection... And again, intuitively, that should be a beneficial thing.
0: I guess from a pragmatic perspective, the other thing that I've seen when working within the metabolic unit with yourselves is some of your colleagues have promoted the MyFitnessPal app, which is a free app where you can monitor your calorific intake as well as your energy expenditure in terms of what exercise you are completing, and that that's a really good way to track your your intake and your output and and to try and improve. Your weight or your, your general fitness, so perhaps that's that's a tool for people to use.
1: Yeah, absolutely, totally.
0: So my my next question really is leading into more of the the secondary care setting, and one of my colleagues um, has raised a question about monitoring of diabetics that come in with COVID disease. And whilst I was working within your department, um, there was an, an, a large number of diabetics with um, flash monitoring devices such as the Libreview. And the question was about when you get people who are particularly pyrexial, can we continue to use that form of monitoring in the inpatient setting, or should should we be moving to you know capillary glucose testing? And I just wanted your advice and opinion on that.
2: Yeah,
1: that's a that's a good question. I, I think that the simple answer to that is uh, yes. I mean, you, you might imagine if somebody is is very pyrexial, is very sweaty, it might make it more uh, difficult. The, uh, the sticky adhesive tape that, that is part of the, the Freestyle Libre to, to adhere to the skin. But actually, in practice, people with type 1 diabetes who are very physically active anyway will be very sweaty at, at time points, And actually, it, that doesn't seem to be a major issue. So I don't see any uh, barrier to, uh, to using uh, flash glucose monitoring in a, in a parexial patient. I can actually see a lot of Advantages uh, to using it. You know, there's no doubt that if you've got somebody, for example, on uh, intra- intravenous insulin in a high dependency area, you know, having uh, nursing staff going and and having to do hourly blood glucose monitoring, you know, that is exposing them to additional risk over and above. Uh, what would be the case for a non-diabetic um, person. And the, the beauty of flash glucose monitoring is that, you know, literally you can wave the, the reader across the, the arm of the of the patient and, and get a reading. So actually a theory would reduce the, the, the physical contact time uh, with patients. And it is actually something that we are thinking about in our hospital, whether we should be deploying this more widely in our critical care areas for, for uh, COVID-infected uh, people with, with diabetes.
0: That's absolutely fascinating and I think incredibly helpful for a lot of people, you know, on the front line of this um, disease um, dealing with these patients. So I, th- I think that would be really helpful to take forwards. The next question that was raised by somebody else was about interpreting a capillary glucose during a significant pyrexia. So, In COVID, we're seeing a lot of patients with significant pyrexias, sort of above 38 up to sort of 40. Um, And I wanted a little bit of guidance on how we interpret the the capillary glucose in the context of significant pyrexia. And I, I guess this is not just a question about COVID, but about infection in general.
1: Yeah, wow. Well, that again, that's a, a really good question, and I really don't know the answer uh, to that. Um, you, intuitively, you would imagine that uh, a spike in temperature will be uh, associated with a rise in, uh, in glucose because you're getting all these counter-regulatory hormones uh, released that antagonise insulin. But I suppose at the end of the day, you've got to go on the glucose uh, reading that you, that you have before you. And if somebody's sitting with a blood glucose of, of 24, whether or not they've got a, a parexia, that is their, their glucose level. And I suspect whilst the, the glucose may be pushed up by the pyrexia, it probably won't come down necessarily that quickly as the, if the pyrexia declines, uh, you know, for example, if they've been given an antipyretic. So I think you, at the end of the day, you've just got to treat the, 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 the glucose levels and not necessarily overthink or overcomplicate things. And, and I am keen on, on one level that, you know, we, we do minimise blood testing in one sense in people with diabetes who are in the wards if they don't need it. So, uh, because again, you know, that is going to increase staff contact time with, uh, with infected patients. So, uh, so I'm, I'm not a massive fan of the idea of doing multiple repeat tests uh, and I would just be pragmatic and treat the sugar that's in front
0: of you. So that was a, a really helpful and pragmatic solution and and some guidance there, Prof. So thank thanks so much for that. This leads on to sort of um, you know the fact that when now in secondary care we're we're probably going to come into contact with quite a significant proportion of the population with unknown multimorbidities. And my next question is really about newly diagnosed diabetics or people with uncontrolled hyperglycemia who are coming in during this COVID pandemic. And I guess um, it would just be some, again, common sense, pragmatic guidance in how we approach um, the newly newly diagnosed diabetic or somebody with hyperglycemia during acute illness. And if you could just give us a bit of a a very rough guide, it would be very, very gratefully received.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you're right. There is, at the end of the day, uh, if they're hyperglycemic, uh, whether or not they've got COVID or not, in a sense, uh, doesn't make a huge difference other than if they are very hyperglycemic, then there may be some merit in trying to normalise blood sugar uh, levels, again, just around immune function. I say that without any uh, scrap of evidence to to support that, you know, we just don't have the the detail. that improving glycemic control in uh, acutely unwell people with COVID makes a difference in the uh, in the long term. But again, intuitively, you'd it, uh, you would think it you would think it it might. So broadly speaking, the approach is uh, is going to be uh, as it would in a non COVID person. You just want to make sure. Uh, that the person is not uh, ketonemic or ketoneuric, that they're not acidotic or ketoacidotic uh, because those individuals will uh, almost certainly in the the context of COVID need uh, uh, insulin uh, therapy uh, either subcutaneously or uh, intravenously. There will be a, a limit on the type of anti-diabetic agent that can be that can be used in more well people and so um, agents like the the new SGLT2 inhibitors so that's drugs like empagliflozin or dapagliflozin um, are associated with volume depletion you can get a, a rare form of euglycemic ketoacidosis with them these are not drugs that you'd want to be initiating in an acutely unwell uh, individual. Uh, metformin is obviously an issue if you've got uh, acute uh, kidney impairment. But I suspect that we'll be going back on or trying contrasted therapies such as sulfonylureas, agents like glycoside and glycoside and insulin uh, to manage hyperglycemia uh, in uh, COVID-affected individuals,
0: I think that was a really helpful um, synopsis and an overview, Prof. So thanks for that, and I think it will be helpful for staff returning uh, to frontline medicine uh, and redeployed staff, redistributed staff from other areas. So so thanks so much for that. And I guess this this moves on nicely. You you touched on metformin during that that discussion, and I think. I want to talk about the diabetic coming in with COVID now and specific things we need to think about doing. And I guess I'd like some guidance on diabetes medications and specifically metformin. So could you just give me your steer on how you approach the newly um, type 2 diabetic patient who comes in on metformin who's acutely unwell with COVID?
1: Yeah, so in essence, uh, the metformin should be discontinued. There is uh, an association between metformin and lactic acidosis. It is debatable whether or not uh, metformin is a, is a precipitant or whether it's a, almost like a cofactor in that. Uh, but as a, as a general rule, if somebody is acutely unwell, particularly if, they've, if they're hypoxic, uh, and if they've got uh, acute kidney injury, then it's better that metformin is discontinued. And I say that because there are always alternative agents, such as sulf- such as sulfonylurea, such as ins- insulin that can be used. And so there's no point in adding to the uh, to the burden on a on a patient. Uh, we would generally recommend uh, stopping metformin in somebody who is acutely unwell. The same would grow would go for. Uh, The SGLT2 class of of drugs, again that's the dapagliflozin, empagliflozin, canagliflozin group, um, I would have a very low threshold for discontinuing uh, this treatment in an acutely unwell individual
0: and i think it's really important for us to be mindful that the majority of these patients are actually going to recover and so taking that guidance about cessation forwards could you give us a steer for you know our primary care physicians hopefully when these patients are discharged when we should be looking at reintroducing these medications
1: yeah i mean again just being very pragmatic you know once the, the individual is back eating and drinking again uh, normally they've got normal oxygen uh, and their their real function is back to their baseline or, or near normal um, then it's absolutely fine to to restart these agents in in that in that context in that situation and, and you're right it's important that you know we don't want people with with diabetes being discharged with very poor glycemic control uh, because that's not going to be doing them any favors in the medium to long term
0: um, so I guess the next question um, that I want to move on to is about patients who are being treated for their diabetes with insulin whilst they're in the inpatient setting, and um, specifically those on basal bolus regimes. And while they're in the acute phase of their disease, I just wonder if you could give us a common sense and pragmatic approach about how we should be dealing with you know, known diabetic patients with hyperglycemia during an acute illness who are on insulin.
1: So um, w- what I would say in, in the first instance, is you've got to be clear of what the targets are that you are aiming for. It's very important in people who are on insulin insulin and sulfonylureas that people are not having episodes of hypoglycemia there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that hypoglycemia in an inpatient context is harmful to the individual harmful in terms of potential cardiovascular events harmful in terms of mortality so avoidance of hypoglycemia is is very important but as we've discussed at the same token you do not want people uh, on uh, ward areas with extremes of hyperglycemia so broadly speaking a a glucose target of between 6-12 millimoles per liter is uh, is a good target for the average individual particularly the older individual with type 2 diabetes some individuals with type 1 diabetes will not be comfortable with a target of, of 6 to 12 and they will want themselves to have a, a more stringent targets and that is one thing that's important to remember that, that particularly people with type 1 diabetes are very used to managing their their, their diabetes so providing they are well enough to do so then uh, it is important to take in um, into account the, the views and wishes of the of the individual so so the first thing to say is be clear about the target so um Six to twelve for most people is fine. And I think it's very helpful to write on the glucose monitoring sheet or, and or the insulin prescribing sheet what the target is so that people are aware of it.
2: I think that's something we often overlook isn't it that defining the target and making sure that's clear for, for everybody in the allied health professional team.
1: Yeah absolutely and you know and particularly in older frail people who are not able to articulate that they're going nice that they're going high target of around 6 to 12 becomes even more important what you're not wanting to be doing is hammering down blood sugar levels trying to aim for levels of 4 or uh, 4.5 uh, on very busy ward areas because if you do that you will increase hypoglycemia um, um, levels on the unit
2: that's a really important safety thing for folks for, to be aware of when when wards are getting busy and there's there's pressure of time and um, yeah that that especially for those patients hypoglycemia is really the risk to them rather than you know sugars that are running between 10 and 12 for example
1: absolutely that that that's exactly right you know that we just got to remember that there's a there is a happy medium yes you know you, we don't like to see people with very high blood
2: sugars and as we said, I said before you know that may uh, have negative effects on the immune system
1: but actually uh, hypoglycemia is the is is a is a big, big issue, um, and is one that on very busy uh, ward areas, very easy for an older patient to come hypoglycemic and it just not be recognized by uh, by individual or individual themselves or indeed the staff on the ward.
0: And I guess I wanted, when I wrote to you, one of the things I really wanted to touch on with uh, the pump patients in particular, and, and perhaps I only speak for myself here, but as a general physician, um, I think. A lot of the pump patients have a really good knowledge of their diabetes and are really in tune with their pump. And and the reality is they, they know a lot more about their pump than I do. And I you know know that a lot of my colleagues are in a similar boat to me with that and, and are quite twitchy about pump patients admitted via the general take. And we generally get the diabetes team involved with such patients quite early on. And I wondered if you could give us a bit of a steer on how we should be approaching these pump patients, you know, the few that are there, out there that come in during the COVID pandemic and what your general pointers would be about their management.
1: Yeah, so... Um... You're absolutely right. People who are on pumps, by definition, have or should have a, a greater level of uh, understanding of their diabetes and of uh, their insulin therapy. At the time they were started on a pump, information about what to do with their with their pump, uh, with their insulin, uh, with monitoring for uh, for ketones when they become unwell and that, that those sick day rule uh, g- uh, guidelines are reinforced at, at uh, their their outpatient clinic appointment so the, the the person coming in who's on a pump if they're well enough, should be able to manage things. And actually, they will almost certainly manage it better than um, medical staff on the, on the wards. With no disrespect to the staff on the wards, it's just the, the reality of the situation. Uh, but obviously, if the person is obtunded and they're just not physically or mentally in a state that they're uh, able to manage their, their diabetes, and actually in that situation, it's better that pump is switched off the uh, giving set is uh, is removed from the, the patient, and that they're managed with either multiple daily subcutaneous injections of insulin, or if they're extremely unwell, with intravenous insulin. And and absolutely, that's the sort of thing that the uh, diabetes teams in the hospitals should be able to uh, advise and assist with. But ultimately if the individual with diabetes is not able to manage their pump themselves, then it will have to be switched off and it will have to be disconnected.
0: And I I think I cut you off a little bit earlier when uh, you were starting to talk about something in relation to uh, the management of patients with basal bolus insulin. And I wonder if this is a point where it dovetails nicely back to you being able to make your point about that. Uh,
1: So, I mean, really the, the issue... Are, and, and you alluded to it, Rachel, is that you, you, you want to be proactive in the management of an individual's diabetes rather than reactive. So the temptation always is somebody's got a blood sugar of 18 you know, give them a little bit of uh, Novorapid to bring down their, their sugar level. But actually, the better thing is that uh, we should uh, proactively looking at their uh, at their charge, seeing what the the pattern has been over the previous two days, and prescribing an amount of insulin that is uh, is appropriate for that. Obviously, you have to take in the circumstances of the individual. Are they eating and uh, drinking? Are they uh, is their condition deteriorating? Is it, it get better? Because all these things will affect the, the the glucose levels and the insulin requirement that that person. It's, it's very difficult to give uh, precise uh, instructions on on what to do with any insulin individual because the variables are so enormous but again it's the sort of thing that diabetes teams uh, should be able to assist with and give advice over the telephone about if uh, people are, are uncertain.
0: I'm glad that we we captured that last point you were making Prof that's incredibly helpful and and I guess the point to all this is there's always in in most hospitals I've worked uh, You know, helpful diabetologist on the end of the phone, um, always willing and able to give you advice. The next question I have actually moves quite nicely on from there, which is about staff members with diabetes. And you know, of course, trusts will have their own guidance about at-risk staff members. But I I wondered if, from a diabetologist's perspective, you could give us your steer on what staff members with diabetes should be doing during this COVID pandemic.
1: Yeah. So this is. This is difficult because um, for for doctors and, and nurses and other healthcare professionals who've got diabetes, you know, there is a conf- there's a, there's an inherent conflict there that there is the conflict that you want to be doing something, you want to be making a, a contribution, you don't want to be seen to be uh, to be pulling back, but on the other hand, you've got the the, the potential impact on uh, on your own health. I think for individuals who have got type one diabetes, who whose diabetes is very well controlled, then I, I think, as I said at the at the beginning of the of the podcast, I think the risks, the increased risks, are almost certainly very small. The advice that uh, that I would give is that people with the type one diabetes, like other um, high risk conditions should not be directly working with people with COVID infection or who have suspected COVID infection. That would be my advice and recommendation. I think that's advice and recommendation that's that's generally out there. So uh, they should be uh, working in, in areas where there are not known to be COVID patients. Now, you and I both know that there will be ward areas that are, that are not designated COVID areas where of course there will be people uh, brewing the uh, infection or where it's unrecognised and
2: um, but I think that is a pragmatic balance
1: between our inherent desire of, of making a contribution and of course the, and the need for uh, uh, for us all to be making a contribution um, and uh, the protect but on the other hand, protecting the, the well being of our of our staff.
2: And and I've been really interested to observe, you know, we've we've managed an incredible change in our practice in an incredibly short amount of time. And actually, you know, there are so many ways and uh, that we can work you know we're really exploring you know our digital mechanisms people working remotely yeah. and I think it's more than possible that these people are able to be redeployed to, to give a contribution without putting them at risk absolutely. Um, and I think you know that 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 we're seeing that on a daily basis I think yeah
1: yeah absolutely totally agree
0: So I know that in Scotland we're incredibly privileged and there's a lot of work gone into the Sky Diabetes platform uh, and other spin-off projects such as My Diabetes, My Way that's come out of that. So I, I know that there will be ongoing research projects that are starting up particularly about the diabetic patient and covid I know that you're embedded in the university and research sector and I wondered if you could just give us a a steer on if you're aware of any research projects that are currently being undertaken um, regarding the diabetic COVID population.
1: So most of the research that's being done is epidemiological in nature and it is obviously coming from countries where they've had the, the largest number of cases thus far. And obviously a lot of that has focused around the comorbidities that are associated with uh, increased susceptibility to COVID and increased morbidity and mortality. I think where we'll be very well placed in Scotland with our record linkage between Sky Diabetes and uh, inpatient data is to answer questions such as, you know, what is the association between level of glycemic control and susceptibility to COVID and outcomes from COVID. Are people with poorer glycemic control uh, at higher risk than people with good glycemic control? Are people with good glycemic control at increased risk at all? Um, And that's something that we will be very well placed to to look at. The problem is we will have to wait until the, uh, the crisis is over before really we can be Addressing those sort of uh, of questions in order to get the, the numbers, but we will be placed uh, very well in Scotland to look at these sort of issues.
2: I guess um, my my question about it is the the advice about the Libra review because um, I've obviously worked um, in England and moved up to Scotland um, and obviously worked within the metabolic unit, your, your metabolic unit, and. Um, you know, there's a lot more uptake up here um, on the LibreViews. And I think that would also be a really important outcome to look at, you know, using yeah. the LibreView during these situations. Because I think that isn't standardised practice and, yes. and something that as general medics, you know, we're, we're sort of starting to get more used to is using that, you know, the swipe um yeah. The slide stuff. So yeah. uh, I think that'd be a really interesting thing, you know, going forward for, for ac- acute, acutely unwell patients with, with the Libras. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. I, you, you know, I think that as you've alluded to, Rachel, this this whole crisis, this emergency, is is forcing us to work in ways that we've never thought about doing, or or have not been able to to do. Uh, up till now and you know to me it's very clear that you know within i don't know 5 years or maybe even sooner in the normal run of events um the, the the flash glucose monitoring system would come I could see that becoming the standard way that people with diabetes are monitored in a in a ward environment why would you do a a, a painful and messy finger prick uh on patients and and do something that's only giving you a tiny little snapshot of of what's happening to their to their blood sugar levels across a twenty four hour period, and of course, so one of the things that COVID might accelerate is the the use of technologies like flash glucose monitoring in uh, inpatient uh, environment. Yeah, it would be interesting to see if that sort of thing does happen in the in the in the months to come.
2: And I, I just want to extend my thanks for you um, taking part in this podcast. I think it's been really helpful um, to cover those areas. Um, and I guess I just want to wrap up by um, pointing towards any resources um, that you think, um, if people would like to do some more reading. I personally found the Edinburgh Diabetes and Endocrinology resource page. Um, it has a tab linked down for professionals, and that's you know got got lots of really excellent how-to guides on there that that you know. I've found helpful in my clinical practice are there are there other things that you would um point us to another podcast perhaps on diabetes that you know um, you've, you you would advise for the uh, general physician
1: well um the the, the the other resource that we uh we encourage patients to use but actually there's lots of stuff on it is the my diabetes my way uh website and, and that's got lots of Uh, useful information uh, uh, on it. Um, And Diabetes UK, uh, again, have got a lot of information on their, their website for healthcare professionals.
0: So Prof, I just really want to say thank you so much for taking the time and bringing us your expertise in this area I think it's been a really informative podcast and I think it'd be really helpful for the frontline staff going forward.
1: Yeah, totally. No problem at all.
0: As I mentioned, we're going to put the links to all of the resources that we mentioned alongside this podcast and um, we look forward to making some more in the future. Hope you enjoyed listening and take care out there.